Let's take our seats together. As we begin this uh, new series together this morning, we're going to turn to God's Word now, to Luke's Gospel uh, and to chapter 1, and Richard's going to come uh, and read for us uh, verses 5 to 19. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, According to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make them ready for the Lord as a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring the good news to you. Thank you, Richard. Some of these passages are so familiar to us, aren't they? We've, we've heard them so many times, especially this time of year. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if somehow we could enter into this story differently this year? Just experience it, you know, fresh. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if Zechariah, this, this old priest, could somehow speak to us today? Well, we're going to try and enter into this story in a fresh way. It's going to be quite difficult because you're going to have to imagine me uh, as an old priest. Anything to say? No? Good. Um, so let's just, let's just try and encounter this story afresh this year uh, as we journey through it. If I can find the remote, we'll have to put that. Because Zechariah the priest would have had a PowerPoint remote. We know that from Deuteronomy or something. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. You shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Words. 
words of sustenance, words of strength, the words of Yahweh, the words of the Lord. Psalm chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless. I shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Words. There's the words of my mouth, and then there's the inner words, the meditations of my heart. My words. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is God in heaven, and you are upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Words. Words, words, words. There's the words we say. There's the words we want to say. There's words we don't want to say. There's words we think and don't say. There's words we say and don't really think. And then there's words we say without thinking. Words. Words, words, words. And into this world, uh, this world of cheap and easy words comes the Kohinim, the people of the Torah, the descendants of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. I was told by my father as a young boy, you're a child of the priesthood. You have been called to Torah your life will be different to the other boys and girls that you know. You will study it. You will know it. You will understand it. You will hide it in your heart. Your voice will be the voice that speaks the words of Torah to the people. You will be the guardian and the guide of this book for the people. We are the keepers of the word, the word of truth, the word of power, the word of life. The word of Yahweh. And those words have shaped my life. Called to Torah. Whenever there's a gathering at synagogue or temple, we carry Torah to the people and unravel the scrolls. We uh, unleash her power. We unveil her beauty. And we speak Torah into this world, a world of words. We speak the words of life. We speak the words of truth. Whenever there is a question or an issue, it is brought to us. And we search her wisdom. We search her power. We search her beauty. And we bring words of truth to questions and fears and challenge. These are not just words. 
These are Torah. And our lives are given that we might know and eat and breathe and digest these words until you cannot tell where my voice ends and the voice of Torah begins. Words. Words are my life. Words are the life, the Kahiram. I'm told that in my day there are 80,000 descendants of Levites. And so many of us scattered right across the nation are called upon uh, twice a year for one week to, to leave the synagogue, to leave our community, and to serve a temple. This is a huge honor. When we arrived, the, uh, the descendants of, of my part, the division of Abijah, uh, we, we decide our roles by casting lots, and we watch to see who will do what is called upon the priests to do and to serve this weekend. To be called upon now was a huge honor. Once in a lifetime does a Cohen get to light the incense and walk to the doors where the worshippers assemble and throw them wide and utter those words, those words first given to Aaron that carry something, convey something of the blessing of the Almighty. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Words I'd learned, words I'd studied, words I'd lived with and had lived with me for a long time. And on this day of all days, on this weekend of all weekends, the lot falls upon me. And when the lot fell upon me, there were looks around the group of priests that were there. Him? Really? The childless one. The barren priest. For many, many years, my wife and I had tried to start a family, but Elizabeth was barren. And the shame of being a childless priest was like a dark cloud that hung over us as a couple, and it cast its long, heavy shadow over me, my ministry, my, my role, my rights to be a priest. He who claims to teach Torah but cannot fulfill the first commandment given to humanity to be fruitful and multiply. If the whole of the descendants of Aaron were like him, the line would fall. Really him? That's the one that's been chosen. I'd heard those words spoken and whispered for many, many years of my life. And yet here, somehow, in the casting of lots, in the assignment of roles, God was moving as we'd prayed and asked him to. God was choosing. Somehow, God was speaking. 
And so I'd been chosen and stood there in this empty temple behind the veil there at the altar of the golden incense, the golden lampstand that must always be kept burning. I was about to light and begin what for me was one moment of a lifetime. And then suddenly I became aware of a brilliant light to the right of the altar. It ignited the room with this awesome terror. I might have thought that the golden lampstand had fallen over, but this was not the color of flame. It was a brilliant white, blindingly pure white. I covered my eyes, but something emerged from the light, or, or someone, a figure. His very presence seemed to emanate with power, as if lightning itself coursed through his veins. And he stood there, smiling, looking at me. He must have sensed my fear, because he broke the silence with, do not be afraid, Zechariah. His words were warm, like, like a burst of sunlight that seems to come through those long winter clouds unexpectedly. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. He knew my name. He knew my fear. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear him a son, and you are to call him John. Your prayer. I couldn't help but look down at my trembling hands, now worn with work and wrinkled with age, well past the strength of youth. Could I now bear a son? Could this miracle we'd prayed for and longed for and believed for years and years ago now be coming true? Those words, words we'd prayed again and again and again. Please, please come. Please heal. Please send. Please lift this shame, this ache, this hurt. Please, words and words and words. But that was a long time ago. And that hope, that prayer, it had died a long, slow death. The words became empty of faith empty, hollow of hope, until they were just words. And eventually those words became no more. We blotted that prayer from our copybook, and with it, it took our hope away. Your prayer has been heard. But there was more. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, those words were familiar. Those words I, I recognized. They were the words from the scroll of Malachi, the last great prophet. But that was a long time ago. Four centuries had come and gone, and the great promise that sits there on the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, the last great hope that one day somehow Elijah would return to us and would again prepare the people, turn our hearts back towards each other and back towards God, that one day God would send the prophet. But that was a long time ago. And since Malachi, there have been 400 years of silence. 400 years without a prophet. 400 years without a single word from heaven. How do you deal with silence? Are you comfortable in the silence? Maybe you've known the silence of a home that is empty. Maybe you've known the silence of a calendar, a year, that is empty. Maybe you've known the silence of a heaven that does not seem to hear your pleas and your prayers and your calls. Maybe you've known the silence of a heart that simply doesn't have the strength to ask again. How do you deal with silence? And how do you wake up from a long silence? How do you react when that silence is broken? This heavenly man, this angel, was quoting what I thought of as the end of this story, but to him, they were not just words, famous and last though they may be, they were not the end of the story. They were simply the end of the chapter. My mind whirled and raced with all kinds of possibilities. Could he really, really be claiming that this story that has lied silent and dormant for centuries was now about to begin again? Could God really be sending Elijah back to us now? And could he have chosen of all people this tired, washed-up old priest who nobody thought was worthy to light the incense? The words were out of my mouth before I could stop them or form them. Can you really expect me to believe this? Now, I'm an old man. My wife and I, we're, we're nearly done here. Our part of this story is nearly over. Could there really be a new chapter for us now? And in my heart, I, I couldn't accept it. 
His answer was very straightforward. I'd asked why I should believe it, and he kind of shrugged. I'm Gabriel. I've come from the presence of God to deliver this message to you. That was something else that in this strange moment was familiar. Gabriel, could this heavenly man, this messenger, this angel from heaven, be the one who had appeared to the prophet Daniel and rekindled hope in a nation that was far from God and brought the hearts of the people back to God again? Could this be the Gabriel? Could this be the messenger? Could this be the message from God? I hadn't asked for a sign, but I guess my stubborn refusal to believe it demanded one. And this angel, this spiritual being, figured I wasn't very good with words, so decided to leave me with none. And as he left, he took the power of my speech with him. And I was speechless. I walked to the doors, still dumbstruck from the experience, pushed them wide, and tried to explain to the people wordlessly that I could not bless them, that the words I had waited a lifetime to say would not be my words that day. Proof to some, I'm sure, of my unfitness, my unworthiness for the task. And yet, in my silence, there was a sign, a power at work, a sovereign move, a supernatural stroke in a story that we had wound back up and tightly bound and hidden away in safety, that God was speaking again in silence. And maybe for some of us today, there is a silence that we have lived with. Is it possible that there is a sign within the silence? That there is a hope hidden within the hunger and the hurt? That there is a prayer flowing from the longing that is heard by a seemingly silent heaven? And that your story is not finished yet. That for all the reasons you and others can think of, why it cannot be you, God might come again and breathe hope where hope has died. A Christmas miracle. Can we pray together?